Well, hello there. My name is Matt Edmondson and welcome to What's The Story, a podcast where we hear stories about faith and about courage from everyday people. And today uh, we are going to be chatting to James Sloan about what it's like to put trusting God through the good and through the bad. Yes, we are. Now, this episode is brought to you by Crowd Church, which is an online church. Uh, online, yeah, yeah, absolutely, because not everyone can make it to a church building, and let's be real, not everybody wants to go to a church building, and that's where online church works super, super well. It's a safe space to explore the Christian faith, and the thing that I love about Crowd is that it is online first, so it talks with you and not just at you. That's right. You can join in the conversation if you want to. Uh, you can ask your questions. You can share your stories. So regardless of where you are at on your faith journey, I think it's worth checking out. Just head over to www.crowd.church for more info. You can see some previous live streams, figure out what it's all about. Uh, or if you would like, you can email me directly at matt at crowdchurch with any questions that you have. Now, before I get into today's conversation with James, I just want to mention uh, that it's probably worth checking out a couple of links. One of which uh, is a talk that James has done for Crowd Church. Yes, he speaks at Crowd Church on a regular basis. One of my favorite was Peter denies Jesus, but would we do the same? Check out that talk by James. And also in the show notes, we'll also link to it, or you can Google Imagine If Trust. Uh, this is something that James is passionate about, so do check out Imagine If Trust. Uh, James, for those of you that you don't know, uh, James lives in Liverpool with his wife and three kids. He is the CEO of Imagine If Trust, as I said, uh, which is a community action charity. And he's on the leadership team of Frontline Church. Yes, he is. Proper grown-up and everything. Uh, James loves hanging out with his friends and with his family. He is just a top bloke. I really like him. And you are going to enjoy this conversation with James Sloan. James, thank Hello. you for joining me here on Crowd Stories. Welcome to the podcast. Great to have you. Now, I know, right, and we all, well, I say we all know, uh, if you're new to Crowd, you may not know that James has been a bit of a regular on the old Crowd Church Broadcast Network. Uh, it's not called that, but we should probably call it the Crowd Church Broadcast Network. Um, and uh, you've done all kinds of things, right? And you are sat in Liverpool, as am I, uh, in your office at Imagine If Trust. Um, so how are you doing? Uh, and are you excited to be here? Of course. Always excited to be in the Crowd Church Broadcasting Studio. Uh, yeah, I'm sat in my uh, study office in Wavertree in the middle of Liverpool. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, I might get interrupted by people wanting things, but they can uh, they can come back later on if need. <laughs> it's always funny when people get interrupted when you do these kind of interviews. Normally, it's kids, uh, you know, because people work at home a lot now, uh, and so normally it's kids that walk in. And I always think it provides a little bit of entertainment and enjoyment to the interview. If I'm not, uh, yeah, I think moving online means that we're more used to kind of interruptions and life just happening around you. You know, it's yeah. more expected and. It's nice when that happens, isn't it? It's nice when that happens. So, James, like I say, a chunk of us will be familiar with you, um, but may not know your story. So I'm excited to dig into it a little bit um, here on the show. Now, 
How did it all start for you? Did you come out of the womb a Christian or did you, you know, like become a Christian in your late 20s after an angel visitation or something like that? I don't know. Where, where did it all begin yeah, for you? I mean, somewhere between the two. It's kind of like <laughs> I wasn't quite born with a halo, uh, but, uh, you know, I did find Jesus for myself later on online. No, I, was, I was born into a Christian home. Um, mm. So I grew up in Leeds um, and my parents kind of planted a church so started a new church congregation i guess is the kind of the, lang- the language um so yeah i always kind of grew up in and around church um, mm. but i guess that doesn't always mean that you understand what that really means for you and your life living out a christian faith so um i saw lots of people doing christian things and gathering together to you know drink juice and eat donuts after church and kind of sip wine and take this bread thing that I didn't fully understand. So I was very aware of all the habits and all the lifestyle things that came with church. Um, but yeah, it probably took me till much later in my adult life to fully grasp mm. what living a life of faith meant and choosing to make that decision for myself. It's interesting. You, you mentioned uh, you saw them doing Christian things and immediately equated that to drinking juice and eating donuts. <laughs> That's what we did in the, in the church. Every service ended with... I'm sure they had tea and coffee, but at my age, it was just juice and donuts. So for me, you had to kind of get through this hour and a half. And at the end, you get juice and donuts. So Sunday There's morning, a reward at the end. Like, you know, what's not to love about juice and donuts on a Sunday morning? <laughs> we should bring that back, right? We should, uh, we should bring that uh, little tradition back, the old juice and donuts. And it's funny, isn't it, how, um, I mean, I didn't grow up in a Christian environment. Um, but obviously, I, my kids have and uh, my a lot of people, my friends like you, have. It's funny when you talk to people that grow up in a Christian environment, the things that they remember, mm. um, you know, the things that impacted them as they grow up, um, things like juice and donuts and sort of having to make it through the hour and a half to get the juice and donuts. I don't, I mean, I don't know the pastor of the church at the time, but I, I imagine that's not what they thought would happen with kids in their church, but that's a reality of life, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, gosh, we used to spend the time with the church hanging onto people's legs as they tried to walk around. That's one of my most vivid memories of church. We used to call ourselves leggy leeches. Leggy leeches. So all the adults are trying to talk and me and my brother and sister and a few other kids would just grab people's legs and we thought it's hilarious. And I think back now, I'd hate it if my kids were doing that to me when I'm trying to have an adult conversation <laughs> after church. But that's probably one of my standout memories is just grabbing people's legs and just hanging on for dear life as long as you could. Um, I'm sure they don't remember that as well as I do, but that was yeah. a standout memory. So, it's funny, isn't yeah, it? Good memories growing up in a Christian home, as you can see. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is funny what we remember. Um, and there's something quite powerful about this. I'm just taking a little sidestep here. As a parent, one of the things that I'm aware is um, on a regular basis, you have an opportunity to create memories for your kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but you never know what they're going to be. You know, I, my kids are, you know, a, 15 to 20 almost 21 at the moment and it's funny when you talk to them about their childhood and the things that they remember you're like how did you how do you remember that or why do you remember that and it's not yeah. not what i expected at all eh? yeah and it's a challenge you know for us raising kids i grew up in a christian home my wife didn't we've got positives and negatives from both our experiences and trying to meet someone in the middle um so you know we don't go to church every sunday and sometimes when we don't we don't do anything about Jesus or God or the Bible on a Sunday, sometimes we do. Um, mm. But for me, there's quite a lot of negative experiences around being churched at home um, and trying to learn Bible verses and it almost feel like a school exercise. Um, so I do have a bit of a, a kickback when Hannah gets a Bible and you know, tries to read with the kids, which we love doing. 
but there's a bit of a something inside me that says, oh, I remember doing that as a kid and mm. I react to it. So um, we try to find a healthy balance, but yeah, it's really hard to know how your kids will perceive what you do, um, you know, based on the perceptions that you've had as a child yeah. growing up in a Christian home. So yeah. That's, that's a really powerful point, actually, because we, I, I think you're right. I think there's something about raising your kids and in the back of your head, you're always thinking about how you were raised as a kid and how you don't want that bad thing, but you want that good thing. Yeah. Uh, but it's, I don't think it's that black and white, is it? Because you're, I'm, all my kids are different, you know, and yeah. what one thing kid thought was good, another kid might think is bad. And so, um, it, but it is funny how you, you remember these things. Did you ever catch yourself, right, as a kid saying, I'm never going to do that to my kids when I'm older? Mm-hmm. And have you caught yourself actually doing the thing that you said you would never do? Yeah, the one thing to me is like licking your thumb and rubbing something off your kid's face. <laughs> my mum used to do it to me all the time with either a, I don't know, some kind of tissue she'd just pull out of her like sleeve. Yeah. All mums just have a tissue just magically up their sleeve. It's like a magic trick, <laughs> but there's no rabbit to appear. She would just damp something and just wipe my face. I'm like, oh, get off, get off. But I do it all the time because our kids are just covered in muck on their faces. They're at that age where food doesn't always make it to the mouth without a kind of detour on their face. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, funny, yeah, isn't we, it? yeah, we all do it, don't we? And, uh, we do. I think culturally the world changes very quickly. So things that we had done to us as kids, you know, for me 30 odd years ago, um, was a very different place, you know, growing mm. up in, for me in the 80s. It was very different to kids growing up in the, the noughties and whatever we call the tens. I, I don't this, know. This, I lost count after the noughties, so, if I'm honest with you. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so what yeah. was some of the... Um, let, let's deal with the negatives first. What were some of the negatives uh, for you in growing up in a Christian home? Uh, I think it, it had the tendency to feel quite religious. Um, there were things that you do just because you do them. So going to church on Sunday, we used to have a, like a midweek group, a house group at our place. Um, we had a very open home, which I love, but there were lots of people coming and going some of questionable character, should we say, um, <laughs> who had come into the church and felt very welcomed. Um, but we often then welcomed them back to our home. So um, that was lovely. We loved having lodgers, people to play with. But there were times when some of them probably had some, what now would be safeguarding issues, which you may not have wanted in the house. <laughs> yeah. Um, different times back then. Different, different times. times back then, exactly. It, it was all good. Um, so, yeah, I remember my parents being very busy. Um, they were both doctors working long hours. My dad was an NE consultant. Uh, Mum was a GP in both in inner city Leeds. Um, so they worked long hours. There were three of us in the house. We had a family dog, we had a cat, uh, and we had lodges. So there was just a lot happening a lot of the time. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was busy growing up. And it's hard to separate church from non-church life. It just all happened in one big and yeah. happy family which which as I say was great um, but I think did have its downsides uh, I'm not sure how much kind of nuclear family time we, we got mm. um, holidays and occasional times at the weekend but um, people orbited in and out of our life quite a lot um, and probably like we said before I've tended to move away from that so we have a lot more nuclear family time at our house we only have a three bed semi so we haven't got space for lodges at the moment um, but we do generally try and keep our family unit a bit more protected Mm. And that's part of just a reaction to I had the opposite growing up um, and enjoyed parts of it, but not all of it. So would so. you have, um, I'm curious to know, because we have lodges. I'm curious to know, would you have lodges uh, if you had the space? Probably, yeah. Before we were 
well, before we had kids, we had lodgers living with us. Um, we didn't actively look for them, but if someone needed somewhere to stay and we had a spare mm. room, we loved it. Um, so now it's purely just, we have three children with three bed bedrooms. So uh, yeah. we're already at a deficit, should we say? Okay. Um, but yeah, no, we, we would we would accommodate it, but I think we'd be quite picky about who that might be because it's people living with you and your family and your kids. Mm. Um, and that's quite important to get the right balance. Yeah. So that's some of the negatives then. So what were some of the positives about growing up in a Christian home? Uh, we it was a very faith-filled home, uh, mm-hmm. a very positive, loving, nurturing home. Um, you know, we were brought up with love and care. Um, our parents stayed together, which uh, I know sounds strange, but a lot of my friends went um, in single-parent homes, and uh, yeah, we felt we felt loved, um, and people wanted to come into that space and be part of our wider family, um, mm. which I think says something about the the quality of the faith and the um the culture that my parents set up in the in the home that people wanted to be included yeah. in, in part of that um and i think we saw our parents live that out they they saw their faith as an adventure it wasn't uh, a boring religious experience on the pews in a in an old church building they lived it out in their work lives in their home lives um they wanted to get alongside people who were struggling they were generous with their time with their money with their gifts um and that probably rubbed off more on me than any Sunday church experience, seeing a life of mm. faith, you know, Monday to Friday, as well as on Sunday. So that was That's very interesting. interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is interesting. It is funny how um, a lot of people who grew up in Christian homes struggled with this. They'd go to church on Sunday and it would all be happy clappy, but then Monday through Saturday it was not like that at home. Yeah. It was like there was a massive disconnect between what church was saying and what was actually being shown in the home. And yeah. um, and people have struggled as a result of that, which I, I totally get. I yeah. You know, when people say that, I understand why why you would. Mm. Um, but it's, I mean, apart from a few bumps, it sounds like you grew up in, I mean, I know your mum and dad, so I'm assuming that it, you know, it was quite a, a loving, fun, adventurous kind of environment that had its, you know, had its quirks, had its problems, uh, as every family does. Um, but... On the whole, it was a, it was a, it was a, was it a good experience for you? Oh yeah, gosh, yeah. Um, I mean, you can nitpick, can't you, in your childhood? Uh, but I think when I look back now, as a parent, I realise uh, um, the things that they put in place and how valuable they were for us as a mm. family. Um, and even the teaching moments, you know, that we'd be taught to forgive when I don't know we fell out as siblings. Um, mm. There were, there were, there were teaching moments there that when you look back now were purely from scripture you know mm. um so um yeah learn to kind of keep a short account of things and not hold on to grudges and uh, managing your anger and learn to forgive and all these kind of things um where, where they're out working you know mm. what they learned from scripture and from many years of walking with jesus mm. yeah i can imagine yeah so for everybody that does grow up in a christian in a in a christian home there comes a point well, everybody, I'd say for most people, there comes a point where you've got to, Sharon put it this way, she got, she she used this phrase that she had to sort of stop living off her parents' faith and she had to yeah. decide for herself whether or not this was going to be real for her. And if you want to, Sharon is my wife and she is also featured on Crowd Story, so do check her story out. Um, did, was, that, was that true for you? Was there a point where you kind of went, okay, I'm now going to decide to do this for myself or have you just been a Christian as long as you can remember. Yeah, no, I definitely identify with that. I think um, 
it's a little bit like you know the tugboats that bring boats in or out of harbors and they kind yeah, of yeah. they've got really strong engines and they carry it so far eventually that boat will have to go on its own uh, and i remember getting to the point kind of feeling like i had been carried so far but i then had to make a choice for myself and had to mm. you know use my own engine power to, to go forward the rest of my life um so they i think they gave me all the resources all the foundational knowledge i guess and experience of church and faith and, and, and life walking with, with God. Um, but it had to come to a point where I said, do I want to follow this same life for myself mm. and experience this, this Jesus that everyone's been talking about? Um, or do I want to walk away? Um, I think the tension for me was a lot of my friends had left. We kind of grew up in a youth group um, mm. together. And when you get to that 15, 16, 17 year old age, I think it's, it's make and break for a lot of kids who've grown up in church homes, um, peer pressure, you know, life choices, all these kind of things. So I was probably the only one left, really, in a, in a youth group of one. Oh, wow. By the time I got to 17, 18. Um, so it's quite hard to kind of stay encouraged, you know, um, stay motivated to, to keep going. So probably at that mm. point, I wouldn't say I ever lost my faith, just didn't actively pursue it in the same way. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't have people bringing me along and, um, you know, walking with me. And that was probably a couple of years, two, three years worth of just doing life on my own and trying to work out what that looked like. I left Leeds, went to university, well, traveled across Africa for six months or so first. Saw the big wide world um, and uh, yeah, went to university. And I probably got to about the age of 20, 21 um, and just realized it wasn't all it's cracked up to be, you know, living for yourself. Um, and around the same time, my sister's marriage broke down um, and I saw her just really kind of pushing into God um, leaning on her church community friends and, and family um, and the faith that she had in that season really struck me because I realised yeah. how, how shallow mine had become um, I'd never stopped believing there was a God or that Jesus existed but I was doing nothing about it so I think watching her and her strength of character and I guess the maturity um, and I realised in comparison I was very immature um, and yeah, that, that, that was probably the kickstart I needed um, and started engaging in a, in a church community. Um, and every Sunday I felt that I went along, that the message, you know, the, the preach, the sermon, whatever you call it, had been written for me, for my benefit. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was almost okay, like, did they know I was coming today? Because that seems to be named just to me. Um, yeah, yeah. It's funny how we saying. go through seasons and that happens. Yeah. I, I think just about anybody that's been around church long enough can go, there was a season whereby I felt the pastor's sermon was just aimed at me. Yeah. Um, it's like it was just prepared for me because it was so speaking so much to 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 what was going on in my life. So um, I, I do smile because I've, I've been there, James. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So and it wasn't just a head you know, it wasn't just that the, the sermon resonated with me. It was a, it was an encounter. It was an experience that I, I couldn't deny. Um, I'm not particularly emotional at the time, but when I feel I encounter God, uh, I do get quite emotional. And I remember just weeks and weeks of just feeling really emotional and feeling mm. quite broken. Um, and being ministered to, being prayed for, um, and for the first time fully accepting, ah, oh, this is what all those people were doing when I was trying to hold onto their legs in church. They were trying to encounter <laughs> Jesus. And it's real and it's phenomenal and it's exciting and it's an adventure. Um, it's not just gathering for donuts and juice. You know, there's more to it. Um, so uh, <laughs> That's quite. So when you were, um, uh, how can I describe it? When you were going your own way, I've got that song, you can go your own, in my head. Um, 
sort of 17, 18, 19, you know, you're at university. How are your parents at this point? Because they could obviously see that that's what you were doing, I, I, I assume. How, how, how did they respond? Uh, really gracious, you know. And I didn't turn into a monster overnight, you know. I'd like to think I'm still quite a nice guy. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, I was living a much more selfish lifestyle, probably than they would have liked to have seen. Um, I was dating quite a few girls and, you know, they could see that they weren't the kind of girls that they probably would class as marriage material. Mm. Um, but I think I, they were just quietly loving me, praying for me and just being there. Um, uh, and, I, and I think I knew that at the time, um, mm. that it was an unconditional love. It wasn't trying to push me back into a, a, a mold that they were trying to create for me. Um, they were just, just loving me through it, um, mm. which is probably one of the things that stuck with me most is the grace that they showed to me during those years is something that I want to make sure that I extend to my own kids and to others around me because that was really yeah. powerful to be a recipient of that. Um, it was, yeah, it was mind blowing. So were they just um, sort of trusting you to God, letting you sort of steer your own course through uh, whatever you were going through, and then just offering kind of words of wisdom as and when you asked? Um, yeah, is that is, is that right? Is that I, yeah. how I picture? Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's hard to remember exactly how it looked at the time, um, but yeah, it, it, I never felt judged or corrected. Um, I felt loved and supported and accepted through that whole mm. that whole time. Um, which I think is something I'd probably say to other parents if your kids are questioning things let them question them um, mm. I think if we try and correct and keep people you know in line um, they potentially might resent it um, or feel they haven't been able to question their faith sufficiently or question life sufficiently I think you need to get to that place yourself to find maturity um, so um, yeah I definitely value that ability to express myself and to make bad choices and to do daft things um three of which are in my mouth i've got three teeth that are porcelain veneers because i was drunk running through town transferring off scaffolding and landed on my face so i've got a very <laughs> evident you know um life choice that. that i carry in my mouth every day so uh, you can't tell that those three are fake yeah so, um, yeah, be it's careful the, when you swing on scaffolding, guys. Yeah, you do. Yeah, top tip. Uh, mm. You heard it here first. It's funny, isn't it, in life? Because you, uh, the, the Christian message is one of forgiveness, right? That God forgives you and your parents are very gracious with you and all that sort of stuff. But um, there are consequences to actions that sometimes we have to live with, yeah. right? And it's not a forgiveness issue. It's just that there are, like for you, there's a consequence that, yeah. you know, you smash your teeth in, you have to have veneers. And if I wasn't... Mm plastered trying to swing off off scaffolding i'd still have my normal teeth probably um and so there are these consequences that you 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 kind of have to accept for lifestyle choices that you live right yeah yeah definitely and i think i probably found the most when we went through uh, as couples in our church we do something called marriage prep mm -hmm. so when you get engaged and you're planning to get married um you kind of buddy up with another couple and you talk about a whole bunch of things from finances um, to you know in-laws um, to sex and work and holidays um, and that's when a lot of this stuff really came out for me is to realizing all those selfish years actually had some consequences on our marriage I didn't save sex for marriage and that was a big issue when it came to marriage prep because my wife mm. had although she didn't grow up in a Christian home it was the wrong way around didn't make sense <laughs> at all. how does um, that work okay yeah move on but I for the first time really felt like ah oh, I really wish I'd saved sex for marriage for our mm. honeymoon night um, so yeah, you know, the decisions I made in my late twenties, early teens, uh, late 
teens, late late 20s. teens early 20s, yeah, um, yeah. Had a knock on effect on our marriage. Now, we've been happily married for 12 years, um, thereabouts. And, <laughs> Get it right. You know, you, you work these things through, but at the time, it was a really big issue for us that we had to discuss. Mm. Um, and, and yeah, there's probably quite a lot of regret on my part there that mm. we had to work through. So yeah, things that you do, do have um, consequences, even though there is forgiveness and redemption and grace. Yeah, that very well said. Now, you said that um, your sister's marriage broke down and that was a catalyst for you because you saw her pressing into God and, and, and so on and so forth. And without, I, I, don't, I don't need to get into details, but have you talked to your sister about the fact that that was the catalyst of you returning to faith? And what, was, what did she say? What was her response? Because this, this was, I'm assuming, was a very traumatic time for her. Yeah, yeah, really tough. Uh, they'd only been married a year or so. Um, and yeah, I won't go into details, but he, he moved out um, and I moved in soon after. So we actually lived together. Um, I'd kind of finished uni and was trying to find out what to do next in life. Um, and she was questioning everything that you know she thought she had been living for. So um, yeah, I think we had a bit of a healing effect on each other for quite a while. Mm. And we've always been quite close, but yeah, those those years were were kind of really foundational for me um living with her watching her grow from a trauma and seeing the community of you know friends that she had around her mostly from church but not all of them mm. um, and at that point a lot of my friends had moved away so i was like right it's time for a clean start you know um the friends i've had are probably not the best ones um so uh yeah i think we we encourage each other we mm. prayed together um and yeah she probably helped me become who i am today um in those years that's wow, fantastic yeah. it's fantastic when there's i mean it's not fantastic that your sister went through that but in in the midst of that you often hear this don't you in christian stories that in the midst of the the pain uh there seems to be something that god does mm-hmm. um and he doesn't spare us from these difficult things, but he's with us in them uh, and often can and work through them, uh, as you've just talked about. So how did you, um, how, here you are growing up in Leeds. How did you get from Leeds to Liverpool? It's only, you know, a small journey down the M62 for those, you know, who know what the M62 is. For those outside of the UK, the M62 is a motorway which joins uh, both Leeds and Liverpool. Yeah. Um, and so how did you, how did you make, how, what caused you to take that journey? Uh, so... I think growing up, I'd always been quite sporty and my plan was to go on to do some kind of sports degree. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I actually did two weeks of, I actually wanted to be a physio, first of all. Um, I've wanted to be many things, as I'm sure many of us have. Um, <laughs> I wanted to be a physio, I did two weeks physiotherapy work experience and it was just helping like, kind of older folk move their legs and arms and um, it really wasn't very invigorating. So I quickly ditched that idea. Um, <laughs> But I've always been quite sporty and wanted to do something around sports. Um, so I looked at the sports psychology, but actually realised that's a very small part of psychology in the broadest sense. Mm. So I applied to do psychology at Liverpool uh, and after taking a gap year, moved over. And at the same time, my parents moved to the Wirral, which is just over the water from Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Um, and my sister was in Liverpool. So the whole family kind of more or less relocated to, to Liverpool, which was a strange thing because in Leeds, I had quite a strong, well, not strong, but I had a Yorkshire accent. So when I moved to Liverpool, I sound like a foreigner. Um, <laughs> but then when I, went up, when I went back to Leeds to see my friends, they thought I sound like a scout. So I found myself a sunny green, this foreigner in everywhere I went. Um, so, hey-ho, I'm probably still the same. Yeah, probably. But, uh, so yeah, life very quickly moved to Liverpool, found um, myself at home here. 
spent three years studying psychology, um, did various bits of work experience, worked in a brain injury rehab place for a long time, um, did some research, um, actually wrote a, a paper um, which has been published. I actually am a named, whatever they call it, author in a journal article. Um, and then, yeah, didn't know what to go next and wanted to do some further studies. So I did a master's degree um, around health psychology, which kind of picks up on smoking cessation and weight loss and social cues to behavioral change, that kind of thing, which I was fascinated by. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And then uh, graduated with that. And the plan was to do clinical psychology doctorate, which would be working with people with um, kind of mental health uh, issues, depression, anxiety, um, doing lots of CBT interventions. And I found myself writing all these applications for jobs because you have to do a few years kind of experience first. And um, the more I wrote it, and the more I thought, this is just not me. Often the question says, tell us how you meet the person spec. And about, you know, after about 10 or 15, I thought, I don't think I do. I don't think I do fit this person spec, um, which is quite a strange revelation when you spend four years studying for something yeah. and you realise this is not the career I want to be going into. Um, and at the time I'd met my now wife and we had just got engaged. So the pressure was kind of on to find a job that would pay the bills and, you know, all of that. Um and uh, and then a job came up with Frontline Church as they were kind of growing a lot of the social action things that they'd developed. And I just thought, well, I'll put it, put an application in, you know, it's something different. And um, and as I started doing the application, I thought, this is me. This like every <laughs> single criteria in this application is exactly what I've got. Um, all my life experience and all the things I'm passionate about. Um, so yeah, that was twelve years ago, June two thousand ten. Began to work mm. for the church. Um, and that's what's led me to, to where I am now. Which is in itself amazing. So this is where you meet Hannah. Uh, Hannah is obviously your wife and the mother of your fab kids. Um, and uh, here you are in Liverpool still, not a clinical psychologist. Yeah. Um, you are uh, the CEO. Are you the CEO? Is that your official title of Imagine If Trust? So just yeah. what is Imagine If Trust? So Imagine If is a charity based in Liverpool um, and we run a number of different projects in the community to support people um, that range from housing uh, to some work with kind of early years. So uh, a nursery providing funded places to those in the community, many of whom are single parent, low income families, uh, through to kind of after schools projects for the local schools, uh, family support work, um, food, kind of community food scheme. Um, so a whole host of things which all sound kind of unconnected but actually the beauty of what we do is that people often get connected between the various projects mm -hmm. so they might get referred into our family support worker maybe a social worker makes a referral um, and whilst they need some support they actually need to save some money so they join the food hub um, and then they realize we've got a play group and they find other like-minded individuals um, and those little connections i find is what alleviates poverty more than mm. provision of material goods um, actually it's, it's broken relationships and it's a lack of community which people suffer from so we try and help provide community that kind of helps people live out their life in its fullness um, rather than isolation so um, I oversee all that we've got 20 staff about 10 different projects that we're running um, and it's all based in Liverpool apart from one project which is out in the Democratic Republic of Congo um, which is again working with local church and NGOs to support those who've been Victims of war um, have had to flee due to rebel activity. People have been raped, child soldiers, um, and then some work around healthcare and education. So again, um, just trying to kind of support the community and support those on the ground who are providing the yeah. relief. 
Um, so it's an absolute joy and a privilege and um, we've been doing that for 10 years. So we set Imagine, Imagine up in 2012. Um, so I've been working for the church for two years and we decided to set up a separate charity to house all the good stuff that we we're doing in the community. Um, to help distinguish what was church and for mm. kind of you know churchgoers and what was charity and often for community members. Um, so yeah, we celebrate our tenth anniversary um, this year, twenty twenty two, which is amazing. Because I mean, imagine if it's quite an extraordinary uh, charity, and it's I mean, what you do, what you what you guys do there is is is, um, is unreal. I mean, it's, it's brilliant. I've always been curious though. How have you? How did we end up with? I think I know the answers, but I'm going to ask a question anyway because I'd want to know the answer if I was listening to this podcast. Going, hang on a minute, you do all this stuff locally, right? And then there's this one thing over here which is in the Congo, mm. and it's like it's not like Liverpool and uh, the Congo are some high somehow twinned do you know what I mean not I don't all. know what city we're twinned with but I don't think it's in the Congo uh, so how did that come about so um I wasn't actually around for the first few trips but I think as a church there was a real desire to send people overseas into various nations um both to provide practical care but also to provide spiritual care and to reach out and to share the gospel and um that kind of grew to various trips that went to different countries um and as, as that was happening a guy arrived in Liverpool from the Congo um and the pastor at the time got chatting to him and heard about his kind of hometown and said, well, could we take a team of people to, you know, support, encourage, um, resource the church there? So they took an early team. I think this is early 2000s. And mm. um, just made a bit of a connection um, with a fantastic pastor there called Pastor Alexander, who we work with till today. Um, and the, the, the trip developed over time and the project developed. Um, and there's just a very natural connection between our two churches, really. Mm. Um, so we kind of give some money to to support what they do and then we send teams out to help encourage them and provide training around medical care and we've trained some teachers in the past um we've done teaching around trauma and counseling um so it's a it's a partnership really it's a really mm. really and it's a, a partnership that goes both ways um he's been to liverpool three times and every time he comes um he's he um he learns a lot first and foremost which is great he always leaves very full of ideas um but he teaches us so much when he comes because he's yeah. coming from such a different context he's such a faith-filled man of god um, mm. that we've always found that his visits to us are almost like reverse missionary journeys where he's coming to yeah it's quite extraordinary isn't it because the stories he has are extraordinary but i the man's always got a smile on his face yeah. every time i've seen him yeah and you just think you're one of the most joyful people um and yet you don't have 95% of what I have. Mm. Uh, and you, you're, I think you're deeply challenged. I'm deeply challenged by, by that kind of attitude to life, right? Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's, I think it's just inspiring. Yeah. Uh, personally, I think it's very, very inspiring when you see that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so here you are, CEO of Imaginative Trust, um, and have been for a number of years now. And obviously, Imagine If's doing some great work and people can find out more on the website, imagineiftrust.org, uh, if you want to know more about what James is doing. What are some of the um, the challenges that you guys have faced, either running the charity or marriage? I mean, you talked a little bit about childhood, but what are some of the big things that have been on your radar the last few years? Yeah, I mean, I think this year has been one of reflection for me. I think um, the fact we're celebrating 10 years you know, you can't help but look back and um, reflect on the journey that we've mm. been on. Um, and to me, they've been 10 very busy years. I've got an eight-year-old, a six-year-old and a three-year-old. So it's been one of raising multiple kids. Um, 
growing multiple projects, taking on new contracts, taking on new staff. Um, so yeah, when I look back, it feels very busy. Um, mm. But I look back and think of the stories of the people's lives that have been transformed and changed and impacted during that time. Um, and not just people that we work with, but actually some of our own staff. You know, I've seen people mm. grow and come from marriage breakdown to having real struggles to coming on board doing apprenticeships getting qualified getting experience and moving into either university or into careers and pgces um and finding new partners and watching life come back together again um and that's a real joy to me collecting mm. those stories um and being part of them and witnessing how god works in the small things often um so yeah that's been some of the joys but there have been challenges the last two years i've probably found the most challenging of my working life um navigating lockdown and furlough mm. claims and i mean the day that we shut this building i just fell apart and you know this is march 2020 um, mm. we closed our doors and i just kind of looked at the streets around me and just thought oh, what do we do um, mm. knowing the families that were in those houses around us and um yeah, I think the emotional challenges and things that you're trying to balance between keeping your staff and your budgets healthy versus recognising the massive need that was growing. Um, mm. And we quickly pivoted into doing food deliveries and care packages and making phone calls to a, the isolated families and individuals we knew. Um, mm. So I just felt I could never switch off for the first six to 12 months. Um, just always trying to figure it out. Just trying to work out how do we keep mm. the, the organisation going, um, keep our staff, you know, paid and how do we keep meeting the need that just kept growing and growing and growing um and then navigating various restrictions and um limits and numbers and also just people's um what's the word how they responded to the covid crisis at the time some staff were very wary some staff were keen just to crack on and get back in the building um, and try to hold all that intention and be a bit of a a peacemaker um, in all of mm. it was was emotionally and physically draining whilst homeschooling mm. a few kids yeah very young kids so, as well um, i mean i always felt i felt for people that had to homeschool young kids yeah because uh, my kids are not young uh, and homeschooling them let's just say i can't do 95 percent of their homework so there's no chance i'm homeschooling yeah. them right <laughs> it's yeah. just not going to happen so I, I appreciate for me i was at a very different life stage but for you it's, it's probably worth saying actually that um that a lot of imagine if stuff happens in the building so yes. we've got this 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 building in Wavertree, uh, which the church is based in and the charity is based in. And there's quite a big space and the building is always busy yeah. every day. Yeah. And if it's not busy on a Sunday morning, it's usually busy with Imagine F stuff. Mm. Right. And so by, when you talk about closing the, the building and the reason it's so emotional is because it's because the life of Imagine F seems to be in that building. Mm. Right. Yeah. So. Closing that, I, I get that's an emotional roller coaster. Handling the staff, I get that's emotional. Um, how did you how did you deal with it then? I mean, how did you, uh, if I can use Christian terminology, what, uh, where was God in all of this? Yeah, I think that's a great great question to ask. Um, I think uh, I went on quite a personal journey of recognizing that I found a lot of my identity in doing, just mm. doing stuff, keeping busy, keep your head down, keep going. I kind of would pride myself on my efficiency i've been able to get things done and managing a team and you know juggling new initiatives and and all of that um and when that hit i was like oh so who am i when the stuff isn't happening you know 
when my kind of CEO title disappears and suddenly I'm just a guy in an empty building trying to homeschool some kids. You know, this isn't what I've been doing for the last 10 years. Mm. Um, and I think you do start to question quite a lot of things, but I found God in the, in the little conversations, um, in the small little miracles, in the provision that we had in the answers to prayer. Um, there was never anything massive. It was just lots of little stories and little wins. I think that's mm. one thing I've carried is that um, in the third sector, the charitable sector, it's very easy to get bogged down by the need, um, especially now you think of rising living costs and yeah. know, the, the amount of kids in care is rising and there's you know, huge problems. But if you let yourself focus on all of that, it can be really quite depressing. Um, but if you constantly celebrate stories and testimonies and the impact you're having, um, it keeps your staff team healthy and encouraged. Um, I think it helps you realise what God is doing in the small things. Um, mm. And I, I think it helps you to be thankful and to be uh, to recognise what you have rather than focus on what isn't. Mm. Um, so I think it, it's been a perspective change to try and recognise those things and celebrate them um, rather than get bogged down with what we could be doing or the, the, the mm. need in the city or mm. the nation or in the Congo because um, the poor will always be with you. It's what we kind of read in scripture. So that's never going to go away. So we have to manage yep. ourselves and our own boundaries and our own you know, energy levels um, so that we can keep going for the long term and not just for the, the short term. I like that. I like how you talked about celebrating um, and reminding yourself of the stories, the big ones and the little ones, and being okay that there are, I mean, a lot of little changes add up to a lot of bit, a big change, don't yeah. they? It's, um, and actually, so often we miss them. Um, because they're small uh, and we think it should be big and we think it's insignificant but actually it's, it's quite life-changing when you add it all up together it's interesting you talked about finding your identity and being busy um do you think that i, I don't know if I, I i don't mean this to come across in a sexist way but do you feel that's quite a male thing maybe I, i've never been anything other than you know a white male so it's very hard to put myself in the shoes of anyone else but um I, I've always liked to be busy. It's probably inherited yeah. from my family. We just did a lot um, and that became the norm. Um, maybe for men, it's a bit of a sense of being the breadwinner. There's always been the sense that they should work and they should provide for their families. And part of that is just being busy, whether that's a nine to five or shift work or whatever. Um, interestingly, my wife, who is um, more qualified than me and was often the breadwinner before we had kids in lockdown, she just loved the simple life. She had a little routine where she'd do a few hours of homeschooling, we'd go for a little walk around the block, and then they'd come back and do another hour or something with her. And she just loved that simple life, whereas I just found that mm. really monotonous. Um, <laughs> it just it bored the life out of me. Um, I yeah, need yeah. variety, and I need people, and I need to be inspired. So that sense of Groundhog Day um, mm. just didn't do it for me. So I guess we're all wired differently, aren't we? Um, and yeah, we are. And I, I, I get what you mean, though. I, I think I've been one of those fellas. And I, I've definitely come across the, the guys who who take great pleasure in telling you how busy they are. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? How's life going? Oh, it's busy. So busy. And it's like a badge of honor. Yeah. Um, and I think the older you get, the more you realize that's actually that's just foolishness. Mm right there and it, I, I catch myself still going oh I'm really busy it's really busy yeah. season and you just you just got to catch yourself in the mirror and go well, hang on a minute <laughs> yeah. it's like I, I, am I just a busy fool uh, is, is, a, is a big question to ask yourself yeah. um, but so I, I, I identify James is what I'm saying that actually it's easy to find your identity in being busy you know and, and in terms of what you run and your title and and all of that sort of stuff so 
So going forward, right, um, I assume Imagine If is still on the horizon. Uh, no plans to change unless there's a bombshell you'd like to drop. Do it now. No bombshells. I'm staying okay. in the <laughs> <laughs> stuck in imagine it for a long time um we all i think we all have a uh what's the word i'm looking for we all have a message we all have a legacy that we want to leave and i guess if there's something that you um reflecting upon uh your formidable years of life um what what's the one thing that you would want your kids to know you know you've got your three kids they're still quite young what is it the what's the one thing that you'd hope they grow up knowing so i often get um uh, I'm trying to think of a polite word to say it, but ripped at work, should we say? I have the Mickey taken from me. Um, because <laughs> That's a polite way. My, my go to phrase a lot of the time was err on the side of grace. Um, yeah. And that's come from, you know, we work with people from all walks of life, um, some who have had really difficult starts in life, some who have had unfortunate life events, some have just made bad choices um, and may continue to make bad choices whilst working with us. But often, especially with, so we have three houses that we manage, 11 bed spaces, and often the tenants that we see may say one thing and do another. It's not uncommon um, yeah. to feel like the wall's being pulled over your eyes. Um, but my message to our staff has always been, well, let's err on the side of grace. Let's give people that second chance. Let's give people the opportunity to experience love and forgiveness and, and grace. Um, and people kind of go, well, then, you know, they'll take advantage of you and and my and i'm going to prove wrong on this um but my ethos is if you choose to be generous then people can't take advantage of you because if you're mm. choosing to give away they can't take it from you so to mm. me if you're choosing to be gracious and to give that generously um then people can't take advantage it may seem like that in the short term the natural but actually long term they're not gaining anything from that relationship um mm. and actually they'll just lose the opportunity to to grow and to develop so um it's something I say over and over again. Let's just own the side of grace. Let's own the side of grace. If in doubt, let's let's take that path. Um, now, obviously, the times we've had to be strict, we've had to evict people, we've had to have different conversations, but that's after giving them multiple opportunities to respond and mm. to, to kind of come on board. Um, and to me, the Bible's just full of parables and stories where Jesus gives people second opportunities. Um, and it's the pastor trying to get in. Told you to be interrupted. <laughs> By um, the pastor too. Yeah, of all people. We've been playing a little joke, putting a dinosaur in each other's offices, so he's probably come to check if I found the dinosaur. This is what I have to look at. This kind of thing. That's not, what, that's not what I'd call a little dinosaur. No, it's quite I'm big and scary, but it's been going back and forth between our offices. This is what happens in these kind of environments, you see. <laughs> we had to find ways to keep ourselves amused. Um, yeah. But yeah, what I was saying was that the Bible's full of stories where there's just reckless, you know, think of the prodigal son um, mm. or the, the father's two sons, is it probably better known? Um, it, that was culturally unacceptable um, for him to do what he did and to show that extravagant, reckless love for a child who basically took the mick and took all his inheritance. Um, but that's essentially the message of the gospel is that God gave his son Jesus to come and die for us in our place. And that was a reckless, extravagant love that he, he shown to us. Um, mm. And I believe it's our duty to to show that to others. Um, and through Imagine If, we have a real opportunity to witness to people and to, to show that love um, and hopefully to change lives and see people restored from uh, from their, their past. Yeah, that's brilliant. And it's interesting listening because it's almost come full circle because that's what you saw in your parents. 
right? Yeah. That's what you had modeled to you growing up. That sort of sense of grace and adventure were the two things that I sort of wrote down in my little notes here. And how you're carrying that forward into Imagine If, it's a sense of adventure. You never know what's around the corner or what's going to happen today, right? Yeah. Um, but it's also that sense of being able to extend grace to people and show the grace of God, which I think is extraordinary. So, James, that's been brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast and sharing your story. Um, I've honestly really enjoyed our little chat. Um, and so it's been absolutely brilliant. Uh, thank you so much. Pleasure. Thanks for having me on. So there you have it. What a great story. Huge thanks again to James for joining me today. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from because we have got even more stories about faith and courage from everyday people lined up and ready to go and we don't want you to miss any of them. And whilst you're there subscribing or liking or you know the thumbs up, the notifications, wherever you are listening to this, uh, why not subscribe also to the Crowd Church live stream? Come say hi in the comments. Uh, if you're around 6 p.m. every Sunday, we live stream on Facebook and YouTube. If you want to know what time that is for your local country, 6 p.m. in the UK, uh, I just either Google it or go to our website. Uh, there's a little link which is super helpful and it will let you know what time that is for you. It's going to be great to see you there. So do come and join us. And in case no one has told you today, you, my friend, are awesome. Yes, you are absolutely awesome, utterly awesome. It's just the way that God has made you. And it is a burden we just have to carry. Yes, we do. Now, What's the Story is a podcast produced by Crowd Church. You can find our entire archive of episodes on your favorite podcast app. The team that makes this show possible is Sadaf Bainon, George McQuaig, Stella Robin, and Tim Johnson. Our theme song is written by Josh Edmondson. And if you would like to read the transcript or show notes from today's show, head over to our website, www.crowd.church, uh, where you can also sign up for our newsletter. 